I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode, we talked about the challenge of making modular automation, and we broke down why that is so hard and really dug into ways in which we can increase the modularity and reuse of automation. And that took us to some really interesting places, talking about infrastructure pipelines, infrastructure reuse, and sharing state, digital twins in infrastructure. All of this comes together in really fascinating ways and will be something we keep discussing. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So, so the topic the topic of the day is um, DevOps automation composability. And this is something I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, so I'll, I can kick us off, and I'm, I'm super curious to have people come in and, and think through the, the challenges, um, but I'll, I'll frame it a little bit. So one of the things that we've seen a lot in discussion here is that there's there's a lot of problems with automation composability. Um, and one of the, and I'll, I'll try and name them out. And if, if somebody has something they want to pick up on, we can, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to yield the floor and we can roll that way. Um, the first one that I see is the idea that um, it's very hard to group changes or, or differences between systems or infrastructures into um, one place, right? They, they, you end up having automation that has to accommodate uh, variation all through that process. And so either you, you end up with a very static like Ansible inventory file that you have to know everything in advance before the automation starts, or you end up with um, basically chaining a whole bunch of things together, which has been really hard, which, which doesn't create repeatable, repeatable automation. So we end up with, you know, you code it into the automation itself maybe, and you end up with Ansible Galaxy, where there's 500 ways to do the same thing because that that small difference that somebody needed was hard to accommodate. Um, and that that's one place. The other thing that that I see that makes automation really hard to be composed and uh, is that different types of automation have different different tooling. They have different control planes, like a Terraform system runs outside of the systems that you're managing and it's not usable inside of the systems or you know something like ansible which is good at running inside of a system or chef or puppet doesn't do well when it's managing outside of those systems and it has to be you know a context outside of that infrastructure and then data collection and monitoring actually building automation around that ends up being a totally different thing and then um orchestrating across systems where you have secrets or information or coordination that has to happen between the things you're managing is something even different or different or more different than you know configuration or provisioning and so we have all of these different types of automation that have to be used together but are different types um and so that's um, it's like this grid of inter intra automation challenges and then inter automation challenges that have made it very hard to build you know sort of a single single automation across all this an end-to-end -end automation or a reusable set of automation where i can take configuration piece and use it over and over again or a provisioning piece and use it over and over again. Does, so, that, does that make sense as a challenge yeah yeah i just saw 
um, either it was a, a seminar, webinar, or a conference that um, is talking about there are three different kinds of automation and specifically listed out exactly what you did. So, yes, there I'm, are. I'm, I'm, I'd be delighted stuff. to see people having that conversation because it, it's always felt to me like we just say, oh, automate everything. And then these are different types of automation. So it gets really hard. Yep. Yeah, well, that's true. So. On a related note, Rob, um, so yeah. you probably are aware I just finished writing today a paper on um, on uh, intelligent networking and autonomous uh, networking. So this ties in to a lot of co conversation with automation because in my mind, automation is the start of anything related to AI because you need to you can you can do lots of AI stuff, but unless you're acting on it using automation, um, it doesn't do you any good. I, I I strongly that that is my favorite definition of robots. Right, robots are making robots smarter that aren't repeatable is is not a useful exercise. Right. Um, and so the repeatability has to be the key. The the first the first thing you get. Um. Yeah, I, it's so Beth, one of the things about that to me, and I think this ties back into the edge discussions that we've had, is it's not just, it's not good enough to just make an end-to-end -end automation that works reliably for one system. Because what we know is that, like, if you were going to do edge stuff, every edge site is going to have differences and variations. Or in, inside of a data center, they have differences and variations. Even inside of you know, a cloud provider, there are differences and variations. And so you, even if you were just building automation for yourself and, and you built something that worked end-to-end, -end, it would be so incredibly fragile, in my experience, that, and maybe this is the right way to approach this. So it, let's assume we just built it. it I got something to work end-to-end. All had this experience, but then somebody shows up with a new, you know, new server, a new version of something, and um, you know, all of a sudden you have to incorporate System D instead of um, whatever the crazy stuff, the mix of things that was before System D. <laughs> upstart suppressing it. Uh, upstart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was um, the sidebar. My CTO is like. Um, Everybody was hating on System D a couple of years, and he goes, "At least it's the same on everything." And, uh, and uh, he's like, yeah. "But so, how do we build automation? Like, what what would you do to build automation that is back that is at least makes if you built this for yourself uniquely that started to decompose that into a reusable unit?" Um, there is. Typically, in my experience, one thing that tends to get in the way of easy automation, particularly when you cross uh, or when you when you involve multiple automation systems, and that is that each one wants to be the single source of truth. Mm -hmm. So you have Terraform. I'm sure you, you, you can create Helm charts with Terraform, but then you have 
configuration drift and Terraform goes crazy because you have resources that you need to import and that's a pain in the, the rear. Uh, or you can use GitOps and, and manage your deployments, which is fine until you actually try to deploy an operator and then the operator deploys his own things and then your, <laughs> your, your GitOps tool thinks there's a configuration drift and resets everything. Uh, so reconciling truth is um, it's one of the hard parts. And, and ultimately, that ends up driving a lot of my design decisions uh, where I try to decouple those steps as much as possible. Um, you, you you just said two things that that you know I'm, I'm I'm jumping up and down and agreeing with um, the source of truth problem is huge to me and I, I we could I, and there's, I'm tempted to to spend a, you know take us there quite a bit in this because I think figuring out how to deal with source of truth um, or an automation system is probably the the biggest design problem I've seen. Um, and decoupling is the other one, but let's, I, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately that also, it, what, what, what needs to happen is, uh, different is you need to change your stance in, uh, in, in how you approach the automation. You, you, okay. particularly now that we have so many, the differing, uh, uh, systems, on uh, on on various services which which try to to have their own, manage their own state, uh, it is no longer optimal to to consider to to think about having a single source of truth, and it's it's no longer optimal to to think about having a hundred percent consistency. Uh, look, it it's it helps when you start thinking about eventual consistency like i i, I run terraform now eventually i'll, I'll have my <laughs> my instances I, I create, under here yeah I, I create my github crds now eventually they will be de deployed so when i when i so i look at i look at like what terraform does because I, I you know you we both play with terraform quite a bit um and the terraform state file strikes me as it's it's good and it's bad. I mean, and one of the things they do is they reconcile the state file against the infrastructure when you ask for an, an apply. Challenge is that they then they then assume that they're right. And this is right. This is this is the challenge. If, if you have a single aha, wait, this is I think a big. If you have a, a if you have a system that assumes a source of a, um, it's a single source of truth, then the the Keyword here is single source, like Terraform. Terraform will, will try to fix what it reads to match its truth instead of adapting what it sees to, like, it, it doesn't assume there's an external truth. And there's no way to edit it. So, like, when I think about truth in an automation system, one is, I, I if I'm wrong, I don't assume that I was that I'm right, or I only assume that I'm right in very limited circumstances. So usually I'll stop or I will um, update or, or force the system to conform. But usually the least attractive option to me is usually a force the system to conform. 
Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I'm actually going someplace further, but I want to. It, it absolutely makes sense. It's okay. it's the, the difference of approach between, say, Terraform and Ansible, where Ansible doesn't store anything. It yeah. says, okay, what is at the time when I run is what is. Um, <laughs> and that, that probably helped me because I started with Ansible first and then picked up Terraform. Okay. Uh, so, so it is a much more friendly approach to dynamic environments. The, the, the thing that we've been doing, and I, I've been trying to figure out ways to explain why, why, it's, in, why it's worked for us, um, and, and what we're describing might actually be the reason. So when we look at state on a system, um, we hold state, but we also assume that you can make isolated updates to the state of the system, and it could happen anywhere. Meaning, so I could be working an automation system and I could be collecting data and saving it and pushing it back into our system to store the state. So the state's dynamically progressing, but we also, it's acceptable for another system, another entity to push state changes into the automation process. So it's like your source of truth is not self-maintained. It can be adjusted from externally. Hmm. Well, but again, that gets back to that's how you can tie in the intelligence, right? Because right. it's a feedback loop. Because you could have something watching your automation process and then and then say, hey, you know what? When I see this happen, I need to make an adjustment. I need to make a correction right. from that perspective. Yes. That's also I, part, of, part of what allows you to build multi-machine clusters because then you you have one machine doing an operation but it might get data from another source this is this is right that each 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 step has to have a source of truth you can't get away from that but and maybe this is where the word coupling comes in if that coupling is really tight then the tool only can use the source of truth it has like terraform or ansible Right, you can't um, up, you can't update a plan uh, an inventory um, as it's running. I I would say more more like if the coupling is too tight or or tighter than it should be, then your source of truth becomes unreliable because you have multiple systems stepping on each other's toes. So what? If- I want to bring something in from one of our one of the other conversations. What about using digital twins mm. to mediate the stored source of truth and the actual truth that's being read from the that way you you isolate you you decouple if you will the the mm. the true up down to that um, that digital twin. And that way, you're above your higher level um, abstraction doesn't have to worry about any of that truing up, if you will. I mean, I don't think you even need to go as far as a digital twin, but mm-hmm. uh, essentially, that's what the operator of the pattern is in Kubernetes. You you have huh. you you have your, I mean, um, it's it's same with with GitOps. So like you you have your desired state, you have your actual state, and you have. Uh, 
I want to say expert system, even though it's not quite the right term for that. Uh, but you, you have a system that 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 knows how to reconcile the desired state with the actual state. And and here there here we come again with yeah. the term reconciliation, which is one of my favorite ones. Uh, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, that that is one of the the pillars of automation. Is that reconciliation pattern? Yeah. I, In my I, opinion. I, no, I, I agree with you because what you're, what you're, I mean, and this is operators get a little bit crazy because it's basically it's it's waterfalls of of reconcilers, um, which I think can be a little hard to understand also. But but the pattern makes a lot of sense. What you're saying is I'm going to build automation that says this this component. And Larry, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's reasonable to call it a digital twin. I typically think of digital twins in like 3D modeling space, but any object that is a representative of another of a of a of a of system, in our case a server or a switch or a storage device, that that representation, if you modify the representation, the, the digital twin of the, the representation, then somebody, you know, you know, a whole bunch of other systems could go around it and say, oh yeah, this doesn't match what I think it should be. I'm going to reconcile the the pattern. And it could be either direction to the source of truth. You could say, oh, I'm going to make sure that this representation, this twin stays up to date for you. Or you could say, yeah, if you make a change to this, I'm going to enforce that change and try and fix it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, going back to what, what Larry was saying, like the, the danger or, or sorry, what you were saying, Rob, uh, the danger, with, with, however, with, with reconcilers is that uh, you need to have a clear scope of what changes they're allowed to do and uh, to try to minimize the overlap. So the decoupling. Scoop is hard. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I, but so so if we I also want to hmm. talk about hardware abstraction layers that we put under OSs. Sure. Uh, and bring that in because that's almost what we're I mean that's we could look at these as a hardware abstraction layer for these individual machines that we're that we're controlling are these individual devices that we're controlling so that we can we can have a single you know standard and so it's our controller if you will the digital twin acts as a controller you make changes to the controller and it implements them below but yep. then reacts to as you were saying Ralph, reacts to if somebody turns the switch off it is able to tell you that it's not currently running So does that when we talk about source of truth, is that is that state information about the machine? Let's I mean let's let's keep it simple and say state of state of the machine from an automation perspective is represented by something that's holding that state. Um, does that have to be a third party? Like if we had, you know. Ansible and Terraform, right? They all have, they're all building machines. They all have a, mach a concept of the same machine, but in their own language. This is to me where automation starts getting hard and modularity starts to fall out. Maybe this would improve modularity is if we had a machine concept that was outside of Ansible and Terraform, but we could then push that machine state into Terraform or Ansible. And I'm using those as examples. It could be, it should be much broader. 
And then at the end of those activities, pull whatever updates to the machine state back. That that you know, uh, maybe we should call it machine twin, Larry, and just keep it simple, right? That's the state of the machine is the machine twin. If we kept feeding data back into that machine twin, would that help us build automation around? Because then we could run Ansible twenty times or run Terraform twenty times, break them into small pieces. This, this is, I mean, this back in the days with Chef, we used to use Chef as a machine, like we dump all our chef, our data into a Chef machine, which had its own problems. We don't, we don't want to do that again, right? No, no, that was that was Chef. Chef as a database was was kind of rough, if I remember correctly. Well, it, it wasn't designed. It it, was, it it had real scalability problems. Um, the um, and. Part of the problem was that Chef would use that to then reconcile whatever was going on in the system. So part of part of the challenge here is that your reconciler needs to be a little bit decoupled. Right? You don't, I guess, you don't always want a reconciler. From a data perspective, you could look at things like um, that are somewhat conceivably sources of truth, or could be used as that things like console or etcd where you can either push or pull data into it. One of the challenge becomes is oftentimes how most of the automation tools need some sort of source of truth, but how in the best interest of those tools, they typically provide a more opinionated approach specifically geared towards their tool. So you get back into the scenario of coupling the, the automation to the source of truth. Uh, so that's the the challenge is as an industry, are we going to build out something that acts more as that that data store um, for some organizations, obviously for someone slightly different use case, you start getting like service now, things like that as a, a source of truth where you can pull and query information. But from a I hate to use the term from a DevOps perspective, is there is there a platform or a, a source of truth that we could start to to rally around and leverage that for our automation and orchestration needs? And it would have to connect together the different types of automation that we're talking about. So, you know, Ansible, Terraform, um, cluster coordination, monitoring data uh, from that perspective. And it would have to, I think, I'm, I'm, I like the idea that the, the twinning, the infrastructure twinning is actually important in this. It needs to, it needs to understand what infrastructure is. Because it's like a, what we're describing is a little bit like CI/CD, where you're connecting all these these pieces together. You have different tools that you're you're and you're shipping artifacts through it, but there's no infrastructure twin in a CI/CD pipeline. So it, the resource management piece that you need is miss. It ha, we, right, you have to have the persistent resource management. I have a resource. I have a twin of it. I can, I know where to find it. I know where to talk to it. I know where to update the state from that perspective. I guess yeah. the, the question is, is the infrastructure persistent enough to warrant a twin? Or should we really be treating it as ephemeral or, or, or as cattle? I think you could do both. I think that if you're going to have ephemeral infrastructure, you're going to, you're going to need to have a place where you can you know, accumulate desired state, 
let it let it run like so if you're going to before you build a machine with terraform you have to collect up what i want that machine to be and then once you've built it you you once it's actually instantiated behind the scenes you need the state updates to say all right it's now a, a system now i can run ansible configurations on it and inject that data and make that run and then after that you need to connect it into a cluster and do the work that's or even before you do that, you might have to say, all right, here's my credentials, here's my certificates, here is you know, the other machines that you have to connect into as part of this work. And then you have to do all the things in reverse uh, if you're going to decommission something out of a DLA you should. Hmm. But, I, but th this description of having a, a centralized spot to manage date seems like it becomes a decoupling mechanism for building automation, hanging automation off of. Right. But then the problem comes is with the complexity of that layer, right? Because that the, the fidelity of the, uh, the representation has to be good enough to cover enough machines to for everyone to be happy using it but also it can't be everything to everyone or it's too it has, to, it has to have some ad hoc you have to have some ad hoc capabilities right it's um, so so an abstraction a degree of abstraction you were going to go to oh you went to digital twins i thought you were going to talk about virtualization but um Every right systems are different, so there has to be some ability to do some type of abstraction, and to also collect variation in a way that that allows systems to be different. Also, right, it's material. I let I, I me be specific. It's material. If you have a, a sixteen gig of RAM CentOS eight server, it is materially important if that's running in. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Linode, VMware, or um, you know, as a Nook sitting on your desk, that it still might be able to be automated. And this is getting to the reusability that I'm thinking of. Um, the automation that you build after the system's installed could be mostly the same to install something on it. Is, you know, set up Kubernetes, make that into a Kubernetes uh, worker. But it's not, you still care about what environment it's in. So like there's mostly the same, but the differences still matter. So you your your digital twin has to have that, have to have that difference. What? Right. I mean, it, that's implementation level detail. I, if we want to get into it, you could, have it boot with, you know, when it when it gets a um, um, it pixie boots to an image that does an inventory of the system and then registers itself to create its, you know, digital twin, um, right? And then then that becomes something that can be used by that above expert system because it's now a new resource that's available. The, but when I'm looking at reusable automation, right? So full on, we're trying to build modular reusable automation. I want to write code that installs something on 
my, you know, any CentOS system, ideally any Linux system, um, you know, assuming we have that that's the, the boundary of our of our of our extent um, within a certain kernel revision, let's say. Um, and and I want to write automation that that is reusable from that perspective across all of that those different infrastructure types. But to do that, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to be able to go to my digital twin and get some data back that says, okay, wait a second, I need to know something specific. Like it's, at some point in that automation, I'm going to have to go and look up, you know, some detail that says, yeah, this is CentOS, and you know, so I, I need to run DNF instead of running um, Snap. Oh, God, there's new packaging. Um, and so you you do have to make that make make that call at some point in your automation to account for that. Okay. So Rob, can we yeah. separate out what is unique in the automation and what is not unique? So if you yeah, if you can focus on the not unique pieces, that means you can make it more generic, right? You can you can create APIs and standard standard ways of delivering the automation. Um, but there are going to be specific pieces that are not unique, and those have to be, obviously, one-offs. Yeah. I'm, what I'm, what I'm, the challenge is I feel like we end up with one-offs, like, immediately. Like, oh, whoops, Yeah, um, well, that's the problem. <laughs> the, um, and, and I like, I like the digital twin concept in that it's giving us right we have a place where we are able to put state information that and maybe this is the key thing that is not owned by the automation layers right when we built like terraform and ansible keep going back to them because they're so widely used um they 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 have very specific state systems embedded in them and they're not really designed to pull state from other places or, or give state to other places, really. Um, but maybe what what we're talking about, and and this does tie into what we've said before, is the need for a digital twin to hook the automation together becomes um, the only way to create the standards, right? But Beth, to, to your your thing is like the digital twin has to be able to say, and digital twins do this. They're like, this is a generalized type of this with these properties, yeah. right? And then, and then they they have to be able to accommodate some variation within the within the, the right. class, right? But you're you're right. I mean, we use heat templates, and they proliferate mm. like you know, like rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> and just and so I've seen people like doing with te with like TerraGrunt or Terraform. Do, do you, does Heat have an underlying templating system that would allow you to? Recompose a heat template. Um, unfortunately, we create them individually, which is a stupid way to do it. <laughs> which means we have hundreds. Yeah. The way it's the, the, to me, right? We've been building automation systems that adapt to the cert. Like each each tool works for its its domain. That's why I started with configuration and provisioning and monitoring and orchestration are different domains. But they, right. Oh, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, but focusing on the 
provisioning, you know, every time we add a new service, we have to create. Oh, actually, the biggest thing for us that kills us is not so much the heat templates to take care of the compute and the storage and the memory requirements, but the network requirements. If we could, if we could, and, you know, they're fiddly, right? And if we could, the basic template is, you know, six cores, you know, 2064 gigabytes of memory, X amount of storage. That's pretty basic. But then it's like, well, we're connecting to, you know, there's three network connections and one of them is a MPLS network and one of them is a IP network and one's knotted and one's, you know, it, it quickly gets way out of hand. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, essentially there's very, there's nothing different other than the network connections. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about is like, how do we build like this infrastructure pipeline that goes consistently end to end. And then for your case, you can add in the, the necessary state data or better detect it. Well, I was going to say it would be better if we could just detect it. If we, if we could drop in, drop it in, you know, the box is plugged in, we download the image, the image comes up and it, it has some generic network connection, you know, whatever it is. Um, the, um, you know, and then it just does the discovery of all the rest of it. <laughs> so it, it's almost like, as you were talking Beth, about what you, what you've got, I, I pictured in my head, this diamond, right? And and that one facet networking in yours is fractal and the rest are easy. Yeah. But, but, but if you, if you turn it around yeah. for each individual, you know, instance of this diamond, there are gonna be certain faces that are fractal that are, that are not easy problems. And we're not able to abstract those away. Right. It would be but lovely to abstract the other ones away. Well, it'd be lovely to extract it away. I mean, there's nothing mm -hmm. fundamentally difficult about saying this is a this is an Ethernet connection, this is a LTE connection, this is you know, <laughs> they're all known quantities. <laughs> right. No, and that's the I guess one of the things, and and we're we're out of time on this, and we need to to wrap it up. But I, I want to come back to it because I really like where we where we got to is that we're not talking about magic, automation magic. What, what we're describing here is known ways to do automation. Like none of it is, is like, I don't know how to automate it, right? This is I, the, the point you're making about the diamond is really good, right? I know exactly what to do in all of these little cases. The problem has been, you know, if that tool assumed a single source of truth, truth now I've got a coupling problem. If I need to do it in sequence, I need now I've got a I've got an orchestration problem. It's it's connecting all of the individual snippets together in in ways that I can not keep customizing the whole, you know, that it doesn't keep creating a new tower, a new template, a new sequence every time I have a variation. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. It is good articulation is. of the problem. Yeah, top of the um, hour. Yep. Top of the hour. Uh, we will bring this topic back up because it's, it's important. Yeah, it's a cool Thank topic. You all.
I Thanks. spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you Bye. Yeah. You live Thanks, it. Rob. I live it. <laughs> We're having fun with it. Making automation reusable and modular is near and dear to my heart. Um, it's something Racken struggles with every day. And we spend a lot of time thinking about how to scale automation, how to write things so that they're reusable, exactly the way we were talking about in this discussion. So please come into the 2030.cloud discussions where we will keep digging into infrastructure as code and automation and modularity, because solving these problems creates tremendous benefit for our industry. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.